1: come to this time of of worship I do um, invite us to hear the the word of God and today our scripture comes from the book of Jeremiah chapter 29 verses 4 through 14. This is Jeremiah chapter 29 verses 4 through 14. This is what the Lord Almighty the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we do pray um, that that anything that distracts us would would be gone and we'd be able to focus on your word and your truth and your light and your hope today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So one of the very first lessons I learned in seminary, and Braden, I'm giving you a little head start, all right, is, is, is these three letters, C-I-E, um, which means context is everything. And so what they wanted us to learn, to learn as seminary students is, um, is don't just take a verse for what's there, but try to understand what, what else is around it in Scripture and what was going on at the time that things were happening try to understand the verse in context, um, because that really will help us all to understand the Scripture. Don't just take it at what it is, even though there's some great texts just individually. Don't rip it out of context, but try to understand things in context. And so, um, kids, if you're watching at home, box one, draw something that might be normal on one day, but unusual most other days. I mean, this is really actually kind of, we understand that things matter in context as well, even now, right? Like if you all had shown up in costumes um, all on a Sunday morning, that'd be very unusual. But if we show up on costumes and it's trunk or treat, that makes a lot more sense, right? Um, if you go caroling in the month of December, it's a sweet and like wholesome thing. But if you ever tried caroling in April, people would just look at you funny, Right? Um, If you uh, take off your shirts and you paint letters to spell something in any setting but a football game, um, it's a very weird and strange thing. But for a football game, it's somewhat normal, somewhat, relatively, maybe not too much as well. Right, we we don't eat turkey in dressing except really for holidays. Right, those are there are special occasions in which those exist, and so there are some things that in one context make sense, but in other contexts they wouldn't go the same way. And so context is everything. Now the same thing happens with, with Bible verses: is that often we will pull a verse out and we will we will have meaning, and that's important, and it doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that. But I think it's important for us to understand everything. In context as well, and one of the most popular scriptures—in fact, one of the Bible websites says it's the second most popular scripture behind John three sixteen—is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, and it's this: "For I know the plans I have for you," declares the Lord, "plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future." Now, I would imagine that there are people that you have put this on your Instagram. Um, there are probably some of you that have signs of this in your house. Um, in fact, you can get this verse um, in a whole lot of different ways um, as well. And so I just uh, a little Google search led me that, of course, if you want a t-shirt, I think we can get you a t-shirt, for I know the plans I have for you. So there's lots of different t-shirt options available. Um, if you want it with your morning coffee, um, you, there are coffee mugs that you can have um, that, that will remind you of this verse. Um, I'm not somebody particularly who has tattoos, but it's a popular thing to um, be tattooed on you. Um, I just Googled on Amazon yesterday, I put in Jeremiah 29 11, and this beautiful blanket um, was one of the things that, that you could get. And so I imagine there might be some of you even like, ooh, that's a good Christmas present um, for somebody. And of course, uh, it wouldn't be complete without a, a phone case that um, would remind you of this at any time and at any place. Um, but, But I think it's really important as we hear this verse, which has so much meaning and so much power and is so inspirational, to understand it in context. Because while it doesn't eliminate our understanding of it, it really does add and enhance knowing what was going on in the situation around it. So I don't expect most of you to be scholars of what ancient Israel was like, but let me just sort of give you a little background as to to ancient Israel and the time in which Jeremiah, who was the prophet, would have written these words. And so he was an Old Testament prophet, and the nation of Israel, which was God's chosen people, Um, they had this sort of pattern in which they would follow God for a while and then they'd turn away from God in rebellion. A prophet would warn them that if they don't turn back to God, something bad would happen. They would ignore the prophet and be disobedient. They would experience the consequences of their disobedience. They'd cry out to God to save and redeem them and he would. And then they'd start the cycle over again. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Now, honestly, this is you and I as well. is that that this is not just Israel's pattern, it's our pattern. We'll follow God for a little and things will be going well and and then we'll sort of slowly sometimes and sometimes quickly turn away from God. Um, The the, the scriptures will warn us, our devotions will warn us, a song will warn us that this isn't what God would want for us, um, but we don't listen to them and we turn away from them we would experience the consequences of our decisions and then we cry out to god to save us to redeem us to make us new and that's exactly what would happen um, is that god restores us in that way and so it's in this cycle that jeremiah the prophet comes into and he warns the people that they are going to be captured by the babylonians unless they turn away and they don't listen to him jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because he weeps over his people and, and, and he cries out and he says that we are going to be taken by the Babylonians and you will be sent into exile. And that's exactly what happens is that they were, Jerusalem was captured and there was a group of them who were sent all the way into Babylon in which they were to live and to be. So this is the situation in which Jeremiah 29 is found. Now, um, what I understand about exile and I want us to feel this because I don't think any of us are going um, to be forcibly removed um, but but I think exile is any situation in which you don't feel at home exile is any situation in which you feel unsettled it doesn't feel like it's supposed to it's not supposed to be this way is a feeling of exile and so that can be a lot of of different things maybe it is in a move maybe it's it's when your kid goes off to college and, and home doesn't feel the way that it used to I think for a lot of us, this pandemic is a a period of exile because we just don't feel stable. We don't feel normal. Um, And so that's a a constant experience for us. And so exile is any situation in which you don't feel at home. And so kids, in box two, I invite you to draw a picture um, of some place that you feel at home. Now, whenever you are in exile, whether it be emotionally or physically, like all you want to do is here, come home. Um, you just can't wait until, until somebody welcomes you back and you're able to feel at home. And so in those days there was a, a prophet um, who was actually a false prophet who told the people what he wants to hear. And I think we're all guilty of this, is, is we all want the news that we want to be true, and that's what we want to listen to. And that was the same thing that happened with Babylon. Um, and so he he made this prophecy. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. And so he was saying, you will come home in two years. And not only that, but Nebuchadnezzar, his kingdom is going to fall. But Jeremiah has a word in response to that. And he says, listen, the Lord has not sent you, yet you have persuaded this nation to trust lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I am about to remove you from the face of the earth. This very year you are going to die because you have preached rebellion against the Lord. And so that same year, that false prophet died just as Jeremiah said would happen. And so imagine that that you are in exile in Babylon and you're getting these letters from people that says, hey, this prophet is saying you'll be back in two years. But Jeremiah his words are very different. Um, And in fact, in verse 10, the verse immediately before our famous one, it says these words, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise and bring you back to this place. In 2090, this pandemic will be over. Right. I mean, can you imagine anybody saying, "Oh, for I know the plans I have for you," declares the Lord, plans to give you hope in a future. It doesn't feel that way, right? Like this does not feel like good news at all. In seventy years, I mean, that's so far in the future. We, it's hard for us to even imagine. Like, how could they read verse ten and then read verse eleven and hear and receive it in the way that God wants us to? But one of the things that I just noticed about Um, us as a congregation is is when we sang the blessing, you know, we we understood the value of 70 years and our children and their children and their children for a thousand generations. You see, we want to be a place and we want to be a people who don't just make a little impact, but we make a lasting impact. We want to be people who leave imprints on our children and our grandchildren and on our family members and on the people we work with and in our friends and in our church brothers and sisters. We want to be the people that leave a generational impact. I mean, imagine people in this church in 1950. um, They would have no idea what Mustang, a community, would look like. Um, But they made an impact that lasted 70 years. And the you in this scripture is in a good Oklahoma y'all right? That it's not just some people, it's us as a community of faith. And so here, then we get those words, for I know the plans I have for you. And that even though, even though you're going to be in exile for a while, God is still working for a hope and a future. But he doesn't just leave it at that, say things will be better in 70 years. That'd be the easy things to do. In 70 years, things will be okay. But he tells them what to do while they are in exile. He tells them how to live their lives. I mean, you may have noticed this at the beginning of that scripture. He told them to build houses, to settle down, to plant gardens. That's one of the interesting things during the pandemic. We've had more gardens and flower beds and other stuff being planted, right? Um, As a way of bringing life in the midst of darkness. Marry, have children. Help your children get married. Increase in number. His message to those who were in exile was live to the fullest. But so often we get consumed by what's next that we forget to focus on what's now. We get so consumed with, with what's going to happen or when this is over or when that is over, um, we're always thinking about what's next, what's next, what's next, instead of living in the moment that we're in and living life one day and one moment at a time. I mean, one of the things that um, I think about is, is this idea of blooming where you're planted. I mean, you all have probably heard that. Bloom where you're planted in this situation. And so it's possible to bloom even in a pandemic. It's possible to bloom even if you don't feel at home. It's possible to bloom in so many different ways. No matter what pot you're in, flowers can still emerge. I love this quote that I heard from um, a guy by the name of Jim Elliott. and. Uh, And this is what it it says. It says, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt in every situation you believe to be the will of God. Wherever you are, no matter what's going on, wherever you are, live to the hilt. Make the most of it in any situation you believe to be the will of God. And so I wanted to share a little bit about kind of our, my story, and and I'm going to invite Heather to to come up, and we're going to share a little bit of our story because we Um, Part of one of the things that I know is that like I've really lived in exile a lot of my life Uh, My dad was a pastor. We moved around. I've never lived anywhere longer than seven years And so I always kind of feel like an outsider um, Wherever we go and and so this idea of being in exile exile is any situation in which you don't feel fully at home Um, I wanted to kind of share our story and I know that we probably all have stories in this room of times and in ways in which we feel and experience exile and so uh, Heather and I, we met um, in 2002 at Oklahoma City University while we were in college. Um, we served as chapel interns there, both going into the ministry. Um, in 2005, we got married uh, May 13th, so help remind me when we get there, all right? Um, and uh, and we, we got married. We worked at a church together down in Norman Goodrich United Methodist Church. Um, and then we, then we took the big journey to go to Kentucky. Um, and we, we went to Kentucky to go to Asbury Seminary. Now, um, one of the reasons why we went there, uh, one, I knew some pastors who went there and I had a lot of respect for them, but also there are some times in your life you know exactly what God wants you to do because he moves you, right? And so we, we, we go to visit and they like people to visit during chapel when there's a full sanctuary and, and, and they greet you in that way. But, but when we went, uh, there, it was during the summer, there was hardly anybody on campus, it was really quiet. And so we walk into Estes Chapel, which is this beautiful white wood um, Chapel. Um, and, and when we, we walked in, there was somebody playing the piano, just real lightly. Um, and, and then when we, when we walked in, we just felt the tangible wave of the Holy Spirit. And I say wave because it felt like it almost knocked us over. Like just whoosh, like, you know, it was one of those things like, did you feel that?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. One of those shared experiences that uh, you just know, you look at somebody and said, you felt that too, right? It wasn't just me. And you know that, I mean, the presence of God said,
1: this is it. This is it. Um, but it wasn't easy for us to, to do um, because I think we're going to need to get you this one. Um, it wasn't easy for, for us to, to do because, um, you know, that meant we had to move 12 hours away from home. Um, that meant we had to uh, live further away than we ever lived. And that certainly wasn't your life plan before you met me, right? No,
0: absolutely not. Uh, so my, my good plans included um, staying in Broken Arrow marrying a guy from Broken Arrow and having a coffee shop with my best friend, having kids across and growing up across the street from each other. Um, And God said, let me show you something different.
1: Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And so, so all of a sudden here I am and I just uproot her from the life that she imagined and her family. And, and we, we went to Kentucky and um, it was really a strange experience because when we went there, we knew we were going to go to school. Um, but we didn't have jobs. Uh, We had to find a place to live, Um, you know, and so it's weird being unemployed and homeless, you know, as a college graduate, but that was our circumstance for a a period of time, and it was, and it was a hard season. Um, There was goodness in it. Um, We found some friends, and uh, a lot of growth happened, but it was certainly hard, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to move from a place where you're known, and you know everything, to knowing one person and we had to figure out community, we had to figure out purpose and, and survival. <laughs> um, and we were newlyweds too, so we were still figuring each other out in that. And so it was definitely a really hard time, but um, God said, I've got a place for you, I've got a people, um, and the purpose always comes through.
1: That's right, and so here we, here we take this, this journey to seminary, and we're there three years, and then as a Methodist pastor, um, you're, you're sent. And so what we knew is when we were leaving seminary and graduating that we were going to come somewhere in Oklahoma. Now, in my head, Tulsa was sort of home base for us. That's where Heather grew up. Uh, that's where all her family was. My parents lived in Owasso at the time. Um, that's where I graduated from high school. So that was home base. And so I thought, you know, if we could be, we spent our time in exile um, out in Kentucky, even though we knew that was exactly where God wanted us to be, right? Sometimes you can, you can still experience pain doing the exact will of God. Um, and so um, in my head, and you know, you all, I'm not the only one that makes deals with God, right? It's like, okay, God, all right, I'm going to do this, but you got to at least do this for me, right? And so what I, what I sort of imagined was I wanted to be east of I-35 and north of I-40, kind of in that northeast quadrant of Oklahoma. That is a place in which uh, we'll be close enough to, to, to Tulsa, be close enough to home. Um, and so uh, I got the call, it was from a 918 number, it was the district superintendent of the Muskogee district. So I thought, ooh, I, we're, we're, we're there. We're in the quadrant. Um, and then uh, the the lady who was the DS she says oh, we're going to send you to Muldrow now. Where? Yeah, where? <laughs> um, you know we've been in Oklahoma pretty much our whole lives and didn't know didn't know where Muldrow was, so we Googled it because that's what you do. Yep. Um, you know you look at the Google Map um, and all that sort of stuff. You pull
0: up Wikipedia so you can learn everything about it.
1: Yeah, and, and it was a such a surreal like experience. And, and so you know I made this deal with God. I wanted to be north of I forty. You know, east of I 35. Well, Muldrow is about 10 miles from the Arkansas border, right on I 40. And so our house was literally a mile north of I 40, and we were 10 miles west of the Arkansas border. So we barely, barely made it into that quadrant.
0: Ask and you shall receive. <laughs> that's right, that's plans. right.
1: Um, and so we, we go there, and, and one of the things that we realized being in, in exile, being in a place in which we don't really fully feel at home, Um, is that relationships are key, but relationships are hard. You know, that's one of the things that um, nobody really told me like as a teenager that like adult friendships are really tough. Uh, But that was part of our experience there as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They tell you adulting is hard, but they leave off the part about and you're going to really struggle making friends because you don't get to spend all the time together and life gets in the way and all of this. And to go to a place each time to try and enter into lives that are already going on and already have fulfillment um, is, is really hard to say, like, hey, me too, get to know me.
1: Yeah, so cause, cause as outsiders, like, we have a high need of friendship, but these people already had their friends, and that's, that's a natural and a, and a normal way of, of being, but it does, that dichotomy really sort of sits um, in, a, in a challenging way, and so we were there, but we, we found, as, we, as always happens, like, right wherever you are, be all there, and so we were so thankful to be in that church and in that community. Um, and they were so good to us. I mean, we brought Micah. We had had him in, in Kentucky, and then Kason was born there, and they just loved. If you want
0: a church to love you, have a baby while we're, you're there. We're
1: not going to do that now, hon, <laughs> but um, but it was, and, and, and we found these relationships. There were some intergenerational relationships and other things. It was yeah. just so.
0: We had to learn that what we expected, again, our plans were going to look different than our idea of what friendship even would look like, and of course, God's come through more abundantly than we could have imagined.
1: Yeah, and so we, we loved it, and, and I could see like just staying there, um, um, which is not what I expected when they sent us to Muldrow, um, but then we, we got a call that, that there was an opportunity to come to First United Methodist Church in downtown Tulsa. Um, now this is kind of the call that we always hope for and imagine because um, it not only was I going to get to do exactly what I had sort of imagined in my head I wanted to do which was to be a preaching associate at a larger church so I could learn um, and still give but also it happened to be First Methodist in Tulsa which had a lot of rich history for us and so my parents um, back in the 70s met in that church and got married in that church Um, and so on my first Sunday there, I told the congregation, I owe my literal existence to this place, Um, and I'm just beginning to pay off my my debt, but it was important for Heather as well.
0: Yeah, so after my my parents got divorced when I was three, my mom and I, um, my mom founded divorce ministry at First Methodist there in Tulsa, and so we started going when I was four, and at the age of six, I stood in the big sanctuary and asked Dr. Buzzkirk to baptize me, was baptized there, and then um, to be able to my, my mom and stepdad got married at the church and then to be able to bring our kids back um, to this place where our lives kind of faith journey began and my kids actually got to be in the children's ministry with the exact children's director that I had been in, Coach Connie, who had been there forever. It's just something really incredible.
1: Yeah. And, and and then and then we moved and we moved back to a place in which we knew. I think, you know, one way you know where home is is you know where to go, right? Um, And so if you've ever moved into a new home and you forget where you put stuff, right? Like, oh, where did I put the towels? Right? Like you're trying to figure it out. But it's the same thing in a new community, in a community. So it's like when we went back to Tulsa, we knew like, oh, we knew how to get to all the Walmarts. We knew some of the good restaurants. Um, If you've ever been to Tulsa, you know, downtown is super confusing, all these one-way streets. But, you know, eventually I learned some of that too. Like you, you learned kind of where to go. And so there was this, like, settling that we felt. And and one of the things that's been challenging, especially for Heather, is is everywhere we go, I've already got a place. I'm I'm pastoring, I'm seminary. whatever it might be. Like, I've got this place. Um, But it's been harder for you to sort of vocationally dive in um, as well.
0: Yeah, um, I kind of received my call to ministry my sophomore year of college. And so, again, my plans, I was going to get this religion degree and become a pastor of some sort. I thought youth ministry at first and and then I met this guy and God said, Well if you're both in ministry in the Methodist church, how is that gonna work? And so we even though we want to be in ministry together, we don't want to be in separate churches. And so I decided to to support him and be in ministry alongside him, but that's been really hard because then what's my purpose? What's my place? You have this call. And so I've had to kind of figure that out each time we move, it's starting over again, because I didn't have a career that kind of picked up and went with me, and so that's been a tension we've had to manage, um, but God came through in Tulsa in this really unexpected way and asked me um, to walk through the door being a teacher and librarian at Eugene Field Elementary in an inner city school um, that put me in the minority and asked us to do a really crazy thing.
1: Yeah, and so we we stepped into this place called Jugene Field, and um, it's surrounded on on three sides by Section 8 housing. Uh, Almost everybody there is on free and reduced lunch, and very different than the schooling experience that we had. Um, but but it was again one of those times in which God said, "This is where I want you to be," and and we felt like exiles there um, because we didn't know the way, we didn't know the culture, we didn't know the norms, um, and sometimes that makes you feel unsafe. Sometimes that makes you feel hesitant, and that was part of our experience. But but you really bloomed in a in a way, being the librarian and teacher yeah. there.
0: Well, so the the f- the first year we actually got involved, um, Aaron had come to me when Mike was in kindergarten, said, "You know, I think God's asking us to send." Might get to school there for first grade, and I said, no, he's not. <laughs> no, we can go volunteer, but I, I, we had to really pray about that, and we sought wisdom. Eventually, we had him go. Um, but we weren't part of the community. Even though our, our kid went there, it was, we weren't in. Um, but when I became a teacher, like, doors just opened. I mean, they, they said, oh, you want to be one of us. You want to be with us, and it just changed everything. And we thought we were going to impact lives, but they impacted us and changed our life Dramatically and change our kids' life.
1: Yeah, and so you know, so so this is our situation. Like, you know, she's in a place where it feels good. The the kids are in a school that that we love, and and I'm I'm on this like like. Pastor track that I imagined, and so um, after a while being there, I thought, okay, I want to. This is what I want to do. This is my life. We made plan.
0: plans, which you don't we do as a plan. We made plans.
1: <laughs> I so I told God, I know the plans I have for me. Plans to give me a hope and a future. Right? I know I'm not the only one who's done that, and and so my my plan was I was I was going to excel as this preaching associate. So then I would become the executive pastor, which was kind of like the, the second in command, if you will, um, serve in that role for a while, and then eventually become the senior pastor um, at First Methodist in Tulsa. This was my career track. We were going to live in Tulsa. She was going to continue there. The boys were going to grow up. Um, we, we had this plan of what God was going to do. Um, and, and as I, again, I'm sure it happens for you all, is that, that sometimes these plans just come crumbling down. And so it was a, a couple of years ago that I felt compelled by God um, to, to share my story of addiction and recovery. Um, I, I've shared that story publicly here before, and I'd be glad to share that with anybody who's struggling with things. But, um, and I really want, believed that um, people need to hear that. They need to hear about um, a, a person who happens to be a pastor who happens to struggle, um, and what God has done to really transform and give me a miracle in my life. And for me, it was really important that that I share that story, that it's not just something that I went through for myself, but that I went through it for the sake of other people. And so um, it was two years ago, back in November, I I shared my desire to share it actually at an Advent service, a service of hope, wanting to share about how I went from darkness into God's marvelous light. Um, But there were some in in church leadership um, who had a lot of hesitancy and, and were really skeptical uh, about that and so the word initially was sort of wait let's figure out what this looks like let's figure out what this means um, and so we we waited and that was okay um, because uh, you know sometimes we don't get to do exactly what we want to do when we do it i know god calls us to wait a lot and so um, it was kind of in february and march in which our world um and this this carefully like normal world that we had planned just got turned upside down um, and uh a, a lot of things happened um and and at the end of the day, um, we, we sat around a table, um, and the, the church that we were at essentially told us that you don't belong here, um, that, that that's not what we want as a pastor who would share that story publicly. And, and all of a sudden, this life that we had built up Just like, I mean, it just shattered. Like I imagine this Lego house that was just swatted across and you just, the pieces were just sort of going everywhere.
0: Well, not only did, you know, we heard and said, you don't belong here, but it was also, and you can't be with the people that should lift you up in this time with your family of faith.
1: Yeah. And so, so yeah, all these, not, yeah, not just this career or this place, but these people all of that was lost, and and all of a sudden we we felt homeless um, in a lot of ways, because what are we going to do? And we didn't know what we were going to do for a period of time. Um, We didn't know if we were going to stay in Tulsa and work somewhere else. We didn't know if we were going to continue to be um, in ministry. We didn't know what the the future looks like, but um, in some conversations we we thought, okay, there, there would be a possibility for us to potentially come to Mustang. We, we knew that Donna was retiring. Um, we, we knew that there were some possibilities of some other places. And so we, we drove around, and, and, and we snuck into Mustang one night. Um, and uh, the, cra- the weirdest thing was, when we drove in, something felt
0: right. Yeah, yeah we, we drove into the parking lot. We, you know, we couldn't come in the building, but we drove around. And it was another moment. I looked up, and I was like, do you feel that? it just, something felt right. We hadn't really felt in this time of incredible pain and, and brokenness. It was really one of the first times we felt peace just pulling in the parking lot. And we didn't know, we had hope, like, could this be it? But I think we were a little gun-shy on really holding on to that.
1: Yeah, because ultimately we didn't have control of where they would call and say, hey, we want you to, to go to, to Mustang. And um, but, but that's the exact call that we got, and, and because I think God gave us that gift of a little bit of peace, um, that really helped us to say, okay, God, we think that this is what you're doing, um, and we want to live to the hilt in every situation we believe to, to be the will of God, and, and so one of the first things that we did is we met with our staff parish relations committee in this church. I, I remember walking in those doors over there and um, meeting Shane Watkins, who was the SPRC chair, and feeling super nervous. Because the last time I'd sat across a room of, of church people and, and told them my story, we were told, you don't belong here. Um, and so when, when we sat ac- across that table with uh, that committee um, and, and we shared our story and I shared about my own st- addiction and struggles, um, Ron Mitchell, who's the lay leader, he, he, he looked at me and, and, and he said, well, I'm just glad to know that our pastor is human. Um, and, and I thought that's exactly what I needed to hear because um, so often in my life, um, people see me as Pastor Aaron, and I really see myself as Aaron who happens to be a pastor. Uh, I take that responsibility of pastor seriously, and I wanna live a life of of integrity and honor and value with you all as, as, as people. I take that seriously but I also wanna be taken seriously as a human. And so to hear those words was just such a gift for me and to us and just like, wait, right?
0: Yeah, I think, I think they probably, if you know, there's a visual, they saw these, this weight and these chains probably just fall off to know that we, we could be accepted for who we are, mistakes and, and say like, you are, you are welcome.
1: Yeah. and so then we took a tour of the church you want to tell them yeah. kind of about that
0: <laughs> so you know we always everybody likes a sign from god right tell you like yes this is the way walk in it continue and so we're walking in they're showing us the youth and we came in kind of um the back way and they're saying look around and we're like this is great it's amazing and then we turn around and literally on the wall it says you belong here
1: yeah and so that those sort of moments right again um, we do ask God for a sign, and sometimes we just have to look up, right? It's right there. Um, <laughs> to have an actual sign. have an, a literal actual sign. <laughs> on the wall. Just, um,
0: it, it, it spoke to us. It said, like, I think that moment gave us more hope because it, it was hard this time. You know, we've, we've had to retrust every time we move and start again. But this time, when it really had become personal, it said, like, we don't know if we even belong in ministry anymore. To see that and feel like this could be our home.
1: Yeah. And, and it really did feel, um, in some ways, and like we were being exiled. Now, um, the reason, not because of Mustang, but because any place was going to be not Tulsa, right? Yeah. Um, and so for us, it, it really did feel like a, an exile. When we were leaving our home, we were leaving the place we imagined our lives and being sent into exile. But we weren't
0: the, in the panhandle.
1: That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, sometimes when I drive through Oklahoma, I thank God I was never sent to the, some of those places. Um, but, but as we as we experience it, I mean, it's, it's hard because even, even feeling that and, and walking up, and you're all generosity and hospitality has been great, but it's still like, you know, there's still times we don't know where to go, right? Um, we don't know the norms of a community. And, and you're always sort of figuring out different cultures and different ways and different things and, and wanting to be present, but it's, there's always this challenge that goes along yeah, with absolutely that. Absolutely
0: wondering. I mean, Will we fit as, as people? Will they, are they like us? Will they, will they like us? Um, you know, you get to like Aaron standing up here, but will they like us? Will our boys find friends? Um, can we be accepted for who we are and do we fit? And having that start over again was, was hard, but it's, it's been good.
1: Yeah. And, and, and that's, again, I think the scripture, like we believe as people, like there's hope for today and there's hope for tomorrow, right? And so that, that we do feel this feeling of, of belonging. Um, and, and, and that's both a now and a future thing. I, I think of the, the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And it says, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And I think that's what this scripture is all about, is, is that we are all going to experience exile. Um, sometimes it may be some of you have moved and you're in a brand new community and it feels weird and strange. Um, but again, there's lots of different ways. I think this pandemic has caused us all to feel in exile. Um, job transitions, family transitions. Um, you know, I imagine some of you, um, you know, whenever Christmas comes around and, and, and there's somebody missing at, at Christmas, it's going to feel like this doesn't feel at home. I feel in exile. Um, but, but we believe in a God who, who gives us his presence, right, that he is with us. Um, I mean, that's part of of the promise of of Advent is Emmanuel, God is with us,
0: yes, yeah. and He's with us not just because His presence and the Spirit is with us, but He gives us this great gift of being in community with each other to lift up through these hard times and through the through the growing and and those things that are good and hard and um, ask us. So when you're walking through what you think is a desert time, and that's what we really thought and we realized it wasn't a desert, but it was actually an oasis of hope where God was allowing us to thrive and to grow um, and just be in community and have a hope that we can have an impact with you all. And we are just unbelievably excited to have that opportunity.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's so much on the potential and to to impact and to be impacted, um, to be transformed, to to be in community. And as we're in community, we, we make each other better um, and there's that growth that, that happens. And so for, for us, I mean, I do believe in this future and, um, you know, in, in generations, that, that we have an impact to, to transform generations in the future um, together um, and, and that we won't ever fully see the impact that, that we as a congregation makes. And, and this is what Jesus does. I mean, think about it, that Jesus was very present with his disciples. He was with them, with them, with them. They walked. They talked. They, they journeyed together. He had the gift of being daily with them, but he also set up pathways for an incredible and beautiful future for us. That because of what Jesus did over 2,000 years ago, that now here we are, generations and generations and thousands of generations later, um, and we are receiving the goodness and blessing of what Jesus and those disciples did. And that's, that's who Jesus is, is he came into this dark world, he, into this weary world, and he brought light and he brought hope as well. Yeah.
0: That's what allows us to rejoice when we're weary, when we're broken, when we aren't sure that we can rejoice, that there is the strength for today and hope for tomorrow. Yeah.
1: And so I, I'm, just as we kind of wrap up, I think, I think some of us, we do feel that weariness. I think a lot of us are, are feeling this, this pain and, and this brokenness that comes with being in exile, any situation in which you don't feel at home. Um, and, and the good news is, is that God reaches out and moves into the, whatever neighborhood you are in. That that wherever you are, God is moving towards you. The incarnation, which is Jesus leaving heaven and coming to earth, shows us and proves to us that Jesus moves towards people. And so we, one, we receive the gift of Jesus and we also become the body of Christ for other people. And so as you're thinking about this, maybe you're feeling in exile, but also maybe you know people who might be feeling in exile and we as the people of God can move towards them as you all have moved towards us. One of the interesting things about hope is that it burns slowly, but it burns. One of the great illustrations I got about that was actually during this first service. And, and when uh, our son lit this Advent candle, it started out as the dullest candle flame that you could imagine, and, and it was almost one of those things where you're just kind of like, I'm just praying it doesn't go out, right? Like you just, you're just praying like, come on, stay. But, but it stayed. And then throughout the course of the service, it got bigger and bigger until it, it shone like it is now. And this is the way hope is. Is that sometimes it starts out so small. And, and you just need a little bit of sign from God. Just something. Give me God, give me something that's good. And then that's going to build and it's going to build until it's shining and so if we let the hope of christ reign in our hearts it may start out small and you may not feel a lot but then slowly the light of christ will come more and more so let us pray so lord jesus we do pray for your blessing to be upon us for our children and their children for a thousand generations And Lord, I pray right now for those who feel that they're in exile. For whatever reason they don't feel at home, in which they feel uprooted and separated, there's a a brokenness that we experience. And so we do believe in a hope and a future. We believe in living life to the hilt today, and we believe in better days ahead. And so may we embody your hope, may we embody your love, may we embody your goodness and may we be a light of hope in a world of darkness so as we conclude our service and we sing our final song we open the altar we open ourselves as people in an attitude of prayer to worship you and as weary people we choose to rejoice that Jesus is Lord Amen Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.